I was asleep before. That's how we let it happen. When they slaughtered Congress, we didn't wake up. When they blamed terrorists and suspended the Constitution, we didn't wake up then either. Now I'm awake. When The Handmaid's Tale was published in 1985, reproductive rights were under siege and acid rain was corroding the forests and rivers. The Canadian writer Margaret Atwood reasoned that if you took all this to its logical end, you could wind up with a theocracy, not a democracy, and a population rendered sterile by its own poisons. So her novel of speculative fiction imagined a hyper-religious nation where the young women who were still fertile were rounded up and confined to the human equivalent of puppy mills, forced to bear the children of powerful men. Well, here we are in 2017, and women's rights to control their own bodies are at risk again, the environment is threatened again, and The Handmaid's Tale is more popular than ever. It became a feature film in 1990, and this April 26th, Hulu launches The Handmaid's Tale as a 10-episode series. Why this book, like George Orwell's 1984, is finding a new and large and attentive following? Margaret Atwood has some ideas. We only wanted to make the world better. Better? Better never means better for everyone. More than 30 years after you first wrote it, there's a renaissance of A Handmaid's Tale with the television series and selling in bookstores. There's a waiting list in public libraries. What is going on? Well, uh, yes, it's all quite surprising, but not, I suppose, when you consider the background. So um, MGM and, and Hulu started making this television series really uh, well over a year ago, and they started shooting in in September before the election. So that caused a, some resurgence of interest in the mere fact that they were doing it. And then, of course, the election happened, and the cast said they woke up in the morning and thought, we're no longer making a, a fiction, we're making a documentary. So I think that is one reason for the resurgence of interest. Obviously, I don't think we're going to get the outfits, but of the rollback in rights that women had thought that they could take for granted is uh, frightening to many people. In fact, you were at the Toronto Women's March, I read, and there was a sign held I, up by some woman who said, I can't believe I'm still holding this bleeping sign. Yes, and, and it was a long time ago, and now it's the present moment, and it does seem like a, a deja vu. It is a case of cognitive dissonance that you and Bill O'Reilly's book about traditional values are both on bestseller lists. <laughs> well, I'd like to uh, see what those traditional values are. Uh, do they include lots of orphanages? Because, of course, if you decide that women should have babies uh, because the state wants more babies, then you either have to provide lots of orphanages for people who weren't inclined uh, to do that, and or you have to you have to pay them. Otherwise, you're going to get Ceausescu in Romania, who decreed that women had to have four children, gave them pregnancy tests every month, and if you didn't get pregnant, you had to account for why not. That filled the orphanages up pretty quickly because, of course, the women could not afford to support four children. Could we be closer to that? I think people should think through what kind of country they live in and and what they what kind of country they want to live in and what they want to pay for. So if what you're saying is that uh, poor women ought to be forced to have children 
which they then will be forced to support, uh, you're just preparing a, not only a very unfair situation, but a, a tragedy. Is that the kind of country we want to live in? And if you carry some of these policies to their logical conclusion, that's what it would mean. Uh, at least the handmaids and the handmaid's tale get fed properly. Is there a difference in how the original, earlier generations read this book versus how young women are reading it now, young women who've grown up perhaps taking oh, women's rights for granted? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the earlier generations, although some people took it pretty seriously, they, they saw it more in the realm of fantasy, like this could never happen here. In England, it was jolly good yarn. In Canada, it was, could it happen here? And in the United States, some people said, how much time have we got? But other people said, well, you know, we surely we're beyond that and it's not going to happen here. And we will never have a dictatorship because we are a democracy. I don't think anybody should ever feel too secure about that one either. At a recent hearing in Texas over a bill to roll back reproductive rights, women protested by showing up in the mandatory uniforms in The Handmaid's Tale, red robes and white bonnets. Yes, and you have a picture of them sitting there very quietly, surrounded by men with guns. And it could be a still out of the television series. You girls will serve the leaders and their barren wives. You will bear children for them. The television series is going to reach a different audience from what the feature film did. How do you compare the two in terms of how they delivered on your book and, and what the impact may be? We're now in an age in which we have a relatively new platform, and that is the well-produced, video-streamed series. And that has created lots of possibilities for novels that, that weren't there before, particularly longer novels. Because with a longer novel, it's very hard to get all of it in any, with any nuance into a 90-minute film. But now that we have this relatively new platform, all kinds of novels are being adapted for presentation in that way. What will happen in the television series as compared to the feature film, first of all, it's longer. So they're able to get more of it in. And some of the characters that simply drop from view in the novel because the narrator has no way of knowing what happened to them. But in the series, they're able to follow some of those stories, and we will see what then happens to them. Does that render the series, in a way, more powerful, more frightening? I think it goes beyond both the book and the original feature film. I think actually it is more frightening. Do you see an arc from what was going on in your life or in the world when you first wrote this to where we are now? A lot of people are saying that, first of all, any totalitarianism always has views on who shall be allowed to have babies, what shall be done with the babies. For instance, the generals in Argentina, they were dumping people out of airplanes, but if it was a pregnant woman, they would wait until she had the baby, and then they gave the baby to somebody in their command system. And then they dumped the woman out of the airplane. You know, Hitler stole his children, blonde ones, hoping that he could turn them into blonde Germans. It's been going on for really a long time. The United States has traditionally taken the view that your private life was your private life, as long as you didn't frighten the horses, you know, as long as you didn't do unacceptable things in public. But they seem to have made an exception for that in the case of women's bodies. So you have, in fact, purportedly liberal democracy claiming agency 
over other people's bodies. That happens with men and now also with women. In, in cases of the draft, the state had the power to enlist you in the army. That would be the parallel. They did, and clothed They you. did. So does the public want to pay for that? What people often say is, well, the woman doesn't want the baby, it will get adopted. That's not always true. So as soon as you get all of the people who want to adopt babies having adopted them, what are you going to do then? In the novel, Canada represents a place of escape and freedom, just as it was for slaves during the Civil War. As a Canadian, your perspective on how power is used gives you some perspective, again, that we may not have here in this country. Well, we, we of course, like to think so, but are, are we always just flattering ourselves that that is true? <laughs> it tends to be a, a one-way plate glass window. That is, we spend a lot of time staring at you, uh, but usually you don't spend very much time staring at us because you don't need to. So we flatter ourselves that we think we know what's going on. Although, I have to say, at this moment in time, nobody knows what's going on from day to day. You really don't know. Yes, Canada has been the the uh, the place of refuge for not just slaves in the antebellum South, but for various other groups as well, including during the Vietnam War, a lot of people went to Canada as well. And, of course, after the Revolutionary War, a lot of people went to Canada because they had been on the losing side. It does give us a perspective. It may not be a correct perspective. Your book has been banned from high schools and it's required reading elsewhere. <laughs> that says a lot about... I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I realize now why we read so many 19th century novels in high schools, because there was no sex in them. There was sex in the margins of them. A lot of them were about that, but you never got to, to confront it. It was sort of off in the shrubbery somewhere. And, and a lot of people feel that teenage people are too young to deal with such things, and they're entitled to their opinion. But other people are entitled to contrary opinions. And in one case, the school board tried to ban the book, and the students mounted a campaign and made very reasonable presentations and, and won their case as to why they should be allowed to study this book in school. Is the Trump era leading this new misogyny, or is it just the biggest voice and face of it? Well, I think it's a voice and face. But also, what leaders do gives permission. So you can have people all along who have thought those things and and done those things. But if a world leader is doing them and making clear that that world leader is thinking them, it gives permission to other people to be much more in your face about it. The galvanizing movement for women in the United States has been this administration and some of its ideas it takes, takes a lot of energy to keep movements going. Yeah, it does take a lot of energy. What may happen is that the administration will enact some of its ideas, and people will then find themselves living with the consequences. And that may change things quite considerably. So women are not the only subject here. The environmental protection laws, I would say, are a huge issue. And they do have impact on, on women because they have impact on families and on health. How much fun is it going to be if all of a sudden your drinking water isn't protected anymore? And that's one of the underlying premises in Handmaid's Tale, too, the environmental depredation that has affected human fertility. Exactly. We are already seeing that happening because of all the plastic and the chemicals leaching out of plastics in the water. There's a couple of studies about declining male fertility, and it is due to 
of human stuff, plastic in the water, you can deny those studies all you like, but it will have consequences. I once interviewed a doctor who, in the years before Roe versus Wade, worked in a hospital treating the desperate women who tried to induce abortions, sometimes at the cost of their own lives. As I said, more orphanages, and, and you can add into that more dead women. And you can add into that people who had illegal abortions, botched illegal abortions, then couldn't have children. All of those things, we assume, are going to happen again. There was a reason why people fought to have some sort of legal, clean, non-lethal procedure. It's because so many people were having lethal, toxic, damaging events. It does come back to, all right, so who's going to have the babies? How many babies are they going to have? Who shall take care of the babies? Whose responsibility are the babies? When you go back and look at people in history who have had these ideas, Napoleon banned abortion because he wanted more cannon fodder. Ceausescu also felt that there were not enough Romanians, so he felt that women shouldn't have to make more. And there have been, of course, various Have More Babies programs in other countries. Hitler had one, but Hitler had a couple. I can imagine your fan mail. I just can't imagine your hate mail. Oh, I've got lots of hate mail over over the years. I'll probably get more once <laughs> once the television series comes out. But I'm I'm not advocating for one thing or the other. I'm saying that what kind of laws you pass, those laws will have certain kinds of results. So you should think carefully about whether you want to have those results or not. If you're going to ban contraception, if you're going to ban birth control, if you're going to ban information about reproduction, if you're going to defund all of those things, there will be consequences. Do you want those consequences or not? Are you willing to pay for them or not? Is there anything I forgot to ask you, Ms. Atwood, that you think is important? Oh, you could ask me something like, why are you so short? <laughs> oh, that's science, and that's another story altogether. <laughs> the abandonment of science is, goes hand in glove with so much of this. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, people are always happy to, to have science of the kind that results in new inventions that make money, not the kind that warns you about consequences. They don't like that kind. Margaret Atwood, I consider you as tall as you would like to be on our <laughs> landscape. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a great pleasure. And for me, too. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's engineered by Tim French and Todd G. Levin and edited by Levin. The audio moments are from Hulu's series The Handmaid's Tale. I am Pat Morrison. Pat Morrison.